I want to share a message with you real quick this morning to encourage you called All or Nothing. Because I believe that there are some situations in life that are all or nothing, where two things just cannot coincide. They just cannot go together. They cannot coexist. And I believe the gospel is one of those things. I want to go to Matthew 4. If you have your Bible, hey, this year, 2021, less screen time and more scripture time. That's one of the things I want to do. Uh, If we're constantly looking to the world, looking to the media, looking to all of those things, we will be disheartened and dismayed and depressed. But if we look to Jesus, we will be encouraged and strengthened. Um, In Matthew 4 and verse 18, it speaks about Jesus as he comes along the Sea of Galilee and he calls his disciples, just like he's called you, just like he's called me. Um, in Matthew 4, 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were busy catching fish in this moment. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't give any extra info. He doesn't lay out the rest of the plan. He doesn't give them a, you know, a better idea of what it's going to entail or a list of things to pack for the road. He just says, come after me, and I'm going to change your destiny. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. When they heard the call of Jesus, something inside of them resonated. There's something in the voice of God. There's something when you encounter God's grace and the reality of his love and goodness that says that this is more secure. Even though it's the wildest adventure, even though it's the craziest step of faith you may have ever taken to leave everything you've known before behind in order to embrace what lies ahead. But it just makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. It is secure. There's a resonating that says, this is what I was born for. This is what I was born to do. And this is the God I was born to follow, to know, to have fellowship with, and to follow. And that's what happens in that moment when Jesus calls us. And so it's an all or nothing situation. When Jesus called them, it wasn't a suggestion. He didn't say, hey guys, if you're not busy later, you know, if you've got nothing to watch on TV or, you know, if you got done with all your fishing and you've taken your fish out to sell them at the market and maybe if you have some spare time this weekend, we can get together, we could talk about what it would look like. No, Jesus just says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Something's going to happen the moment you take the step to follow Jesus. There's, a, there's something that will be a transformation that will take place in your life. And this is all or nothing. So Jesus gives this invitation. He says, you got to choose. Right now, you got to choose. Are you going to follow me or are you going to stay a fisherman? Are you going to be a fisherman or a fisher of men? Are you going to come after me? Are you going to heed my call and experience what I have for you? Or will you stay behind? You cannot do both. You cannot have both things. They require your full devotion. There are situations that we have in life that are like that, that that are all or nothing, where you have to make a decision. Marriage is one of those things. You know, in the traditional vows that are read out by so many couples, they say, they make a promise to forsake all others, forsaking all other men, forsaking all other women, forsaking every other 
option as a partner because I'm choosing and making a covenant with this one. And if you choose to commit yourself to somebody but want to have somebody else on the side, that's not going to work out well for anybody. Marriage is all or nothing. And that's actually why our generation kicks against marriage in the way that it does because we just want options and, and preference. We don't, whatever we prefer in the moment is what we want. We don't want commitment and covenant and dedication. These kinds of things are, are hard for us as a generation that is just so used to options. And so marriage, though, if you're going to pursue this, is all or nothing. Having kids is all or nothing. You know, you can talk about having kids. You can, you can think about having kids. You could look at, you know, Instagram pictures of babies, and that's all easy to do. But once you've actually had the baby, you can't put it back. You can't, there's no return address. You've got to raise that baby. You've got to take the responsibility that comes with being a parent. And so being a parent is all or nothing. And Jesus says, he speaks about money in one instance, and he says that you're either going to serve him or you're going to worship money, but you can't do both. He says, no man can have two masters. You cannot serve or worship two gods. And he speaks about how we as people have this knack for finding or making an idol out of money and out of wealth. And we could say that in my wealth, I will find my security. I will find my place in the world. I will find my, my significance. I will be worth something uh, to those around me. You know, I will have power or whatever it is. I will be able to live the life I want to I live if I have enough money. And so even though you may not ever have drawn your cash and bowed down to it, we worship things by finding our significance and our security in them. And Jesus says, if you're going to do that, then you cannot also worship God. It's an all-or-nothing situation. You've got to either worship God or worship money, but you can't worship both. They cannot coexist. God is God, and if we're going to worship Him, if we're going to follow Jesus, there are some things we're going to have to leave behind in the sense of not finding our significance in them any longer, not looking to them to save us. And so Jesus really isn't making a suggestion here. He is, it's the call of God. It's the call of God. He says, follow me and I will make you. I'll make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus' invitation was more than just a short trip. It was more than just, hey guys, I want to just quickly show you something and then you can come back to your old life once that's done. He calls them to leave their career, their jobs, their boat, their dad in this instance, their old life, everything else that they had ever known as safe and secure, to leave it behind and to follow him. It's an all or nothing kind of invitation. And Jesus says that as you follow me, I'm going to transform your life. I'm actually going to make something out of you that, that you were predestined for, that you could never have done by yourself. You could never have gotten there without my grace at work in your life. It's only God's grace that changes us. So Jesus says, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a this is a whole new life. This is a new direction in life. They left the family trade and instead followed Jesus. It says immediately, there's a response there. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is what the call of God does. It, it 
inspires us to abandon everything else we'd ever trusted in, everything we'd ever depended on for our life. Those, those nets and those boats and those careers that those men had represented the things they depended on for life. But what Jesus says is, leave everything behind. Detachment for attachment. Follow me. I have got greater things for you. This is such an, a great analogy for what we do as people. This happens in our hearts every day. Even though we come to church and we say it's all about Jesus and he's my God and he's my Lord, we make gods, we make idols out of the practical things in our lives, the things we feel we need to survive, to flourish, to move forward, to have what we want in life. We, we long for those things and in doing so, we actually turn them into idols. We find our security there. But Jesus calls us to walk away from all of that and simply trust him. You see, that's where faith begins. That's what faith actually is. Faith isn't working on yourself in order to become better. Faith is realizing that you can know, you've gotten to the place where you've, you understand that there is nothing I can do to save myself or to help myself. You see, Jesus's calling here is not for you to slightly improve yourself and become a little bit more religious or a little bit more devoted. It's that you would realize that you need his grace to become a new creation, to be a new person that can fulfill the call of God on your life. It's, it's all or nothing. It's, it's not become a better person. It's die to yourself. You were crucified with Christ on the cross, Romans 6. 6. We were crucified with him. And if anyone is in Christ, the old things have passed away. Jesus isn't asking you to improve yourself. He's asking you to die to yourself, to die to the old self, and to be resurrected in him, to find a new life. And so it's when you come to that point where you realize, I'm at the end of myself, that's where faith begins. That's where you begin to put your trust in this God who saves and will continue to say, that's when you realize that it's all about Jesus. Paul speaks about this in Philippians 3 verse 7, and he says, I once thought these things were valuable. He says, all the things that I had accrued in my life, all the, the accolades and the things that I had achieved, all the learning, all the studying, all the countless hours, the years that Paul put into his theology and his career, which was to become a teacher of the law, an expert in the law of God. All these things that I counted on previously for my sense of worth in this life and even my relationship with God. He makes a shocking statement. All those things, he says, I, he says, but now I consider them worthless. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul used to follow the law. He used to live religiously. He used to do all kinds of things from, you know, staying away from certain things that he would eat to uh, keeping certain days as holy days and, and feasts to, to having to pray a certain number of times. But they were all things that he was doing in order to be righteous, not because he was already righteous. And so he realizes that all of my efforts have amounted to nothing. And now that I see what Jesus has done for me, 
and that I could put my faith in that Jesus rather than saving myself, he says, I count the rest of that stuff rubbish. It's worth nothing to me because of what Christ has done. So many of us are not trusting in Jesus. We're still fishing with our own nets. We're still trying to to find what we need out of life by the work of our own hands. But Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded, thrown away everything else, counting it all as garbage, as rubbish, as filthy rags, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Do you see how this is an all or nothing statement that he's making? He's saying that if I was still depending on my own goodness and my own works and my own abilities and my own New Year's resolutions in order to move forward in life, then I'm missing out on trusting in Christ. But once I let go of these things and I say, I cannot, I count it as rubbish. I discard all of my cleverly laid out plans in order to simply trust Jesus. Now I move into the realm of faith. Now I get to have the things that Jesus has prepared for me rather than the things I'm trying to attain for myself. I counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You see, it's not just following Jesus, but it's actually being united with Jesus. You end up becoming one with Christ and he transforms us from the inside out so that I may make you. God made us and Jesus remakes us into his image. So beautiful. It's all or nothing. In 2021, it's either going to be all of Jesus or it's going to be all of you. But it can't be both. It can't be a little bit of me and a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of law and a little bit of grace, a little bit of of God's mercy and a little bit of religion. You can't trust in your own skills and ability as your saving grace and then at the same time trust in the grace of God. We need to count everything else as rubbish. Sweep it off the table. It means nothing. This is a challenge for me personally because I'm always, you can ask my wife, I'm always sitting with a notebook. Ask my staff. I've got a notebook with me at all times, sometimes several. I have rows of notebooks that I have filled out. Just little things. I'm always writing a plan. I'm always writing a strategy or a thought or an idea. And those things are great. Sometimes they're they're God ideas and they're things that God has spoken to me and it's me hearing his voice. But you know what? If I was following even God's idea in my own strength, it would still fail because it's by grace. And that means that when it succeeds, it's only God that can get the glory. If you have the best year you've ever had in 2021, I promise you it won't be because you're smart enough to plan out a good year. It'll be because God's grace has been at work. And so we must pursue and follow Jesus as our number one priority if we want to experience this. Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I'm I'm no longer putting any stock in how good I am and how able I am to be religious or follow the law. I, he says, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. So he goes, I'm right with God, not because I've done enough good things. I'm right with God because I've put my faith in Jesus. And so now I become righteous. I'm not just acting righteously. I've become righteous by my faith in Christ. 
For God's way of making us right with himself, Paul says, depends on faith. So you can enter into 2021 knowing that you're right with Jesus, knowing that you're right with God, knowing that you're righteous and that God's grace is at work in your life because you don't have to earn it. You just have to trust in Jesus, trust in what he did. I count, now that I know what Jesus has done, I discard everything else. The hardest thing for us to walk away from is ourselves. <laughs> we are our own greatest idols. We are, you know, constantly trying to, to save ourselves and help ourselves. That's why self-help is a multi-billion dollar industry. Because people want to know, what can I do to help myself be better? And deep down, we, even though we know we need salvation, we know we need a savior, we're hoping that if we hold out long enough, then perhaps we could make it. But the message of the Bible is actually very clear. This message declares what we all deep down genu genuinely and historically know to be true, that we're broken, that we cannot do it by ourselves, and that we need Jesus, that we need salvation. And so the invitation of the Bible, the invitation of the gospel is not to start by trusting in God and then become perfect by by doing it yourself. The Bible says, how will you who have started in the spirit be made perfect in the flesh? No, we've got to allow God to work in us this year. Allow him to transform us from the inside out. Don't go back to your nets. Don't go back to fishing. Don't go back to figuring it out by yourself. And so the invitation of the gospel is not come, Jesus saying to you, come and I will make you better. I will make you the best you that you can be. No. Jesus invites us to follow him, to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to walk by his grace and his spirit. Most philosophies and religions and, and worldviews offer people steps that they can take in order to be better. All the things that our world deems as just and right and true right now. These are the things that you've got to do in order to, to be a good person. This is what it looks like. Our world begins to dictate moral standards, even though it claims that the universe is amoral. And that's what our generation has done. We've said, no, there's no God. There's no morals. It's just what's good for society. But then everyone has a new idea of what's actually good until you end up with an internet mob shouting at each other and and going crazy. There's more hatred and foul speech than possibly anything that has gone before in the generations ahead. And because people have rejected God as our moral, our standard of what is right and wrong, the God who is the author of morality that helps us know how life works best, we've rejected him. We've now said, no, there still has to be because everybody's incensed at this sense of injustice. But then who gives the laws? Who gives, who gives what's right and wrong? And it turns out it's going to be the big tech companies that are going to determine what's right and wrong as they, as they make up the rules from now on. And this just shows where we're at as a generation, that, that we're always trusting in humanity and humanism more than God. We always want to turn to humanism, which is a religion that says we can do it. 
It's only if you're deceived, if, you, if you've got e even a measure of understanding, you know that we can't. We've tried. The humanism experiment is a failed one at best, and we need a savior. And that's why Jesus is the hope of humanity. That's why he's your hope. doesn't matter what you're going through. He is the only way, and we need to put our full trust in him. The gospel doesn't offer us steps to be better because the gospel is true, and it knows that we can't. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you do, no matter how much you give to charity, no matter how many times you volunteer at the humanitarian society, no matter how many things that you do, the only thing we can truly do in order to deal with sin that is not just an issue of what's in our hands, but what's in our heart, is give our lives to Jesus and receive a new life in him. So it's, it's radical. The gospel is radical. It's all or nothing. That's the invitation that we hear through the scriptures. It's the invitation the disciples heard when they heard the voice of Jesus. Come, follow me. Not my religion, not a philosophy, not a set of rules. Me, your savior. Come, follow me. And this is a free gift. That we get to follow Jesus is not something that we need to be good enough to be able to do. We cannot earn it. Jesus has done it all for us on the cross. You cannot earn a gift. Otherwise, it is no longer a gift. If you start, if somebody gives you a gift and then you work to earn that gift, now it's a salary or a wage. It's no longer a gift. And so God's grace is something that we receive as a gift. You either let Jesus save you by his grace or you have to save yourself. It's all or nothing. Either it's, it's all of grace or it's all of the law. And then you can't just keep one of the laws. Then you have to keep all of them. And if you break one, the Bible says you're guilty of breaking all of them. It cannot be grace and merit, grace and works. They cannot mix any more than fire and water can mix. If you're saved by the grace of God today, then it is completely by grace. And if you are saved by works, then let it be completely by your works, all or nothing. You either depend on Jesus or on yourself. So we can't take Jesus and compartmentalize him or relegate him to a prayer that we pray before a meal. That may be a, a good thought and reflection and tradition and moment and whatever else you want to call it, a good practice. But true saving faith is when we realize that Jesus is the one we need to trust with all of our hearts. Romans 11 verse 6 says it like this, and I'm almost done. Romans 11 6 says, and if by grace, if it is by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But, it's, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. So this doesn't mean that we don't have good works and that in 2021 as a church, we're not going to do great works. But this means that Jesus is the one doing those good things in us and also through us. When Jesus paid the price for you, he paid full price. He didn't pay half price. He didn't, pay just, he didn't just put down a deposit. He didn't put down a lay-by and say, don't worry, you know, I've paid a little bit of the debt to the law, but, but you know, they'll come and, and pay the rest later. No, 
Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I've paid it all. I've paid it all. And so you have been bought at a price. Your life has been redeemed. And the, the Bible says it this way, the, the handwriting of the requirements, the debt that you owed to the law was completely paid off. You are debt-free and guilt-free and condemnation-free because Jesus died on the cross to set you free. And that's what we have in the gospel. That's what we, what we have in Jesus. In Ephesians 2, it tells us that, that God took us. We are his workmanship, the workmanship of Christ. We were created in Christ Jesus beforehand so that we could walk in the good works that he had prepared for us. Before you were even born, before you had even taken your first step, God had ordained certain things for your life. Come, I will make you fishers of men. And you know what's so amazing about it is that it represents a transition between us working for temporal things, just casting nets, just trying to eke out a meager living, just trying to get through lockdown, just trying to get through a normal everyday life, just trying to survive, just trying to find a wife, just trying to find a husband, just trying to have some kids, just trying to, you know, build a career, just trying to own a house, just trying to one thing after the other. This represents a transition from just trying to do something temporal to becoming a participant in something eternal to becoming somebody that can make an eternal impact in the lives of others. Not just fishermen, but fishers of men. To change lives. To make a difference by the grace of God. And I really believe that we're going to do that. I really believe that as a church, we are going to see God work through us in ways that we are yet to imagine. And it's going to be for His glory. And it's going to be in this crazy world. It's going to be in the midst of the madness that we experience right now as people are hungry for hope that we are going to be able to share that hope. I always used to say my youth ministry back in the day was called the All Stars. And I always used to say that, not, that stars shine the brightest when nights are the darkest. We are here to illuminate the way of grace so that people can find hope, and that's what we're doing in this city. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A light is not placed under a basket. No, we are here to shine, and we're here to make a difference, and we're going to do it. We're going to be different. We're going to be different than everything that you see and hear around you, and it's going to be the message of truth and the message of hope and uh, so I'm excited. Next Sunday, we are going to start a new series in the book of Corinthians. Now, Corinthians, Corinth was a wild city filled with every kind of philosophy and thought and idea and a mob mentality and uh, an, arist an aristocracy that was completely built up of who could make the most money. And it sounds a lot like our city and many other cities in the world. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be God's people, what it means to grapple with, with sin and temptation and and the things that we struggle with, what does marriage mean in that context? What, is, what, is, what does it look like to be a united church? These are the things that we're going to talk about. As we navigate this crazy time in our world, we're going to see how others have done it. 
in the past and how we can do it knowing who we are in Christ. So it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great journey. We're looking forward to a great year. And uh, I hope this encourages you today. I just want you to know, if you take anything out of this today, the fact that God created you, He loves you, and He has called you. But answering that call means leaving every other thing you've put your hope in before behind in order to follow Jesus. Let's do it, Anchor Church. Let's follow Jesus in 2021, and we are going to see great things happening in us and through us. And we trust God for that. I want to go ahead and just pray for you for a moment right now. Um, and we'll listen to one more worship song, and, uh, and then we'll see you again next Sunday. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you have called us, that we have heard that call of God resonate and reverberate inside of our hearts. We know it's true. We know it's real. We know it's right. Lord, we want to be everything that you intend for us to be. We want to be fishers of men. We want to make a difference. We want to follow after you. We pray, Lord, that you help us to drown out, to tune out, to to put aside every other distraction and every other thing that calls for our attention and our devotion. And instead, that this year we can just simply be devoted to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our vision, that people are our mission. And we thank you, God, that we can pursue that this year as we follow after you. We give you all the glory. We thank you for your grace. We worship you and you only, Lord. We love you. We thank you for what you are doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for watching with us today. We love you. We'll see you again next Sunday.